Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome. It's Lucinda Carney here, and I wanted to do a brief introduction. Shortly, we'll be going into our conversation, and this week we're talking to David James of Loop, who is just such a great person to talk to. I was actually lucky enough to go on our podcast course with him, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this introduction. So I know that you'll find the conversation with David really enlightening. Those of you who follow him on LinkedIn will know that he has some brilliant insights and fresh thinking around learning and development. And it was a really stimulating conversation. I hope you'll find that's the case. However, what I wanted to do is just say a huge, huge thank you. We went live officially with the podcasts. Previous feedback had just been on small basis just yesterday. So I'm speaking to you on the 11th of June and we went straight into the business top 10 and even got as far as number seven. Who knows, we may go further in the iTunes business podcast charts I'm absolutely blown away by this. We've got more than 25 star reviews already and um, have had some really lovely comments. I have to say it's really nerve wracking launching a podcast because you really feel like you're putting yourself out there. Hopefully those of you who know me understand that what I want to do this for is about helping us as a profession rise up, show our value and to support and collaborate together. So that's what I'm hoping it will do. And please carry on giving feedback. The other thing I thought was worth pointing out at the start of an episode is we do have really comprehensive show notes because I know that we mention links or relevant topics and that might be something you want to look up. They are in the various apps, the show notes, but they're quite hard to find. So if you wanted to get more information or if we've mentioned something that's in the show notes, you can actually find the full set of show notes with live links on our website, which is hruprising.com. And also we have transcripts as well. I appreciate that sometimes I speak at 100 miles an hour. So if there was something you wanted to go back and check, then you'd be able to get that in the transcript. And again, that's at that website. So all it remains now is I would love to introduce David. I introduced him in the actual episode himself, but I wanted to say how grateful I was for him being one of my first interviewees. He's a really fabulous person, a brilliant personality. And we are releasing this conversation with today because he is also launching his own podcast. So right after you've listened to this one, if you haven't already done it, go on over to iTunes and download the Learning and Development podcast where David is going out speaking to other people in the industry. And again, he's got some fantastic conversations going on. So hopefully you'll get lots out of this conversation. Please carry on giving feedback. If you can share news of our podcast with others, then that'd be massively appreciated. And of course, you know, talk to us on the social media platforms. Thanks very much. So hello there and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. This is Lucinda Carney, your host, and I'm really excited because today I've got one of my 
friends, I guess, and we could call each other. We met relatively recently, but we're in a similar area. Um, I'm really pleased that I've got David James here, who's going to give us the benefits of your experience, your insights and challenge our thinking, I think. So just to introduce those of you who may not know who David James is, he's actually the Chief Learning Officer at Loop. And I don't know if you've heard of Loop, but Loop is a learning experience platform. I might have to ask Paul what that is later, David. Um, And prior to that, you've had a really interesting background. We've got some similarities, actually, in our backgrounds, haven't we? We were both in learning and development. Mm -hmm. But he was Director of Learning Talent and OD at Walt Disney. And so I guess that means you know what OD means, because I put that out on my LinkedIn recently and people didn't know what it was, (laughs) including people who had it in their job title. And before that at Lehman Brothers. So Mm. you've been through L&D. And we'll explore more about that, because I'm sure it would be interesting for our listeners. Mm. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. First of all, then, one of the things that appeals to me about your insights mm. and, you know, I can see you put some really great challenges and, and actually instigating some really great debates on LinkedIn mm. is that you seem to be thinking differently about learning and development. And I think you're challenging the thinking of a lot of us as L&D professionals. Mm. What would you say your story is or what is it? What's your point about L&D? What are we doing wrong? There's some stuff I think that has changed, um, not just in learning and development, but in the the wider environment, business and uh, and society. That means that that we have to evolve. Uh, I'm not saying that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I think that business has m- moved significantly enough for us to have to shift ourselves. And what I mean by that is that it is no longer enough to run a suite of training programs and have a suite of online learning and think that that's caring for what the organization needs. And I know that learning and development has always been more than that, but that seems to me to have always been the core. But both expectations from employees and from stakeholders, plus the ability of technology, allows us now to get closer to the point of work to help people when they really need help, not when we can provide support for them. So when a course is available or when it's scheduled and it's their turn or when the line manager will allow, it's just not good enough. We need to be supporting people as they move into and through our organisations when they're facing situations, unfamiliar situations and challenges for the first time, when they're looking to make transitions. Those are all opportunities for learning and development that we haven't grasped hold of to this point. And what I'm talking about and challenging learning and development to do a lot with my posts is to expect more both from themselves and their vendors. So are you saying that it's more user-driven? It's about rather than being L&D sort of catalogue, portfolio, lovely mm. courses, what we think you need, it's about being more driven by what the actual user needs in the moment. That's yeah. what we should be doing. Exactly. But I mean, how do we do that? Because that's really hard to know what people need. You mm. know, how, how could I do that if I was in L&D role at the moment? So first of all, it's about letting go of the old programmatic approach and thinking about what we can do with the resources available to us and start thinking about what the ideal situation should be. Now, you've hit the nail on the head talking about uh, this is a user-centered approach. When we think about what our people are trying to do, so um, helping them in service of their goals, those being uh, micro goals, whether they be macro goals, whether those be uh, task and team driven or whether they be career driven, understanding what people are trying to do and then supporting them when we can anticipate as close to the point of need as is absolutely possible. So first of all, it starts with solving real problems. Now, 
that language can sound contentious because it does assume that learning and development might not be solving real problems. But I think a lot of the time, L&D solve the problems, their own problems, rather than the problems of the user. Uh, an example of that is we don't have conflict management course. Well, let's create a conflict management course. You know, it's not really solving a problem for the user. It's solving a problem for learning and development. Let's get a system that houses all of our content and helps to track users and also help us with the face-to-face uh, -face administration. Again, it doesn't help with the end user. It's all driven for solving the problems of learning and development, as is e-learning a lot of the time, solving the problem of reach and scale and value, but not on efficacy. So what we're saying, what I'm saying a lot of the time is let's understand what our users are trying to do. Let's understand the points of failure in our organization, solve the real problems that are priorities for both of those in the most efficient way possible, but benchmark ourselves and measure ourselves on achieving those goals rather than the provision of content and engagement. So I guess that actually on previous podcasts, we've talked quite a lot about um, trying to be more evidence-based as professionals if we're going to be taken seriously and we're going to make a real difference. So that's kind of what you're talking about there, isn't it? Gathering mm. gathering evidence to, and then also proving, if you like, because that's one of the hardest things in learning and development. Mm. You know, we all remember Kirkpatrick and Happy yeah. Sheets. Is there a better way of gathering evidence of, of adding value through this approach? Mm. Yeah, so it's about uh, responding to, to business data. So let's consider that every organization has induction and a lot of induction is run because we know it's the right thing to do. Not a lot of us will ask whether what we do is it making the difference that we hoped it would. It's about making, putting something in. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some organizations who have a technical skills element within it. I've worked in, uh, in banking where we held people for three weeks, held people. I sound like a, a prison officer. We held the people in the training room for three weeks until um, they'd known, they'd seen how to use a system and then they were proficient with calls. But then at Disney, we would have people for the first hour or, or so of their time to make sure they had a consistent experience. They'd have coffees. They would meet other new starters and then, not unusual to a lot of organisations, they would have an enormous amount of information thrown at them. Starting, yeah. yeah, exactly. For, and it's for the, the sake... Yeah, it's the, for, for the case of consistency rather than solving any real problems. But when you take a step back and ask, why are we doing this? A lot of the time, there might be an, a level of preparation. And if, if so, what are we preparing people for? This might be for sustained engagement for the short term so that we maintain some excitement within people. But is it just for the morning that we've got them or are we looking to achieve something longer term? And if so, how long? Uh, do we want to check to see whether engagement is either sustained or increased over a three month, six month, nine month period? Oh, engagement with learning. No, no, engagement like as as in, yeah, as in with the company, yeah. yeah, as in with the team and with so their that company. So that would be a metric that you look as evidence. Exactly. Value but but we we start with what are we trying to achieve, and then you actually either find the data or you begin collecting the data at that point. You might be looking to address uh, retention, and churn, uh, or speed to competency. There are valid reasons why you would engage in induction, but before you start with your fifty to one hundred slides keeping people captive for an hour, two hours, half a day, a day for as long as you've got. Start with why you're doing this in the first place and move beyond, well, it's the right thing to do. Because if you can start from an evidence base, then you can make sure that every action that you take, uh, every improvement that you make is actually impacting on the people who you're doing this for predominantly, which are uh, the people coming through the door and 
their line management, the, the team that they're joining. Another one is new managers. And the reason I bring these two up nearly in all, uh, all of my uh, examples, uh, this is what everybody comes knocking on our, uh, our door for. Like we've, we've got to overhaul induction or we need to do something that works for new managers. So with new managers, uh, a lot of the time, these are the great neglected population in any organization. They're promoted and they're promised development. Yeah. That development will come weeks, months or years after they begin in the job. Um, it's no secret. I think it's well publicized that uh, technical people promoted into managerial roles are pretty much have got a career change in front of them. And yeah, they might be given some e-learning, but come on, like, let's, 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 let's. Oh, that gets, you know, they don't, yeah. they don't have the people gene quite often. The best, yeah. the best engineer is not the best engineering team leader. And so there's something there about whether we should do that in the first place. Yeah. But it's even worse if we don't develop them. You know, hang them out to dry, really. Exactly. Yeah, opportunity to deliver. But let's assess the risk. Let's assess the opportunity. What data have we got on this? Again, if what we do is we, based on a hunch and limited observation, we recognise that we need to take leaders away for two days. Again, we're measuring this in in time, time away, away job, yeah. rather than the eff- yeah, yeah exactly rather than the efficacy uh, and addressing real risks. I always say that that you've got your least experienced population, your new managers promoted into the role, looking after your largest population. Now tell me that's not a risk. But so so when you're delivering your training, your one and done experience to these people who have been muddling through and finding their own ways for all of that time, we're trying to repair something. And a lot of the time, we're trying to share models and theories, as well as some conversation about stuff that might be contextually relevant, but it's largely theoretical onto people who we don't understand their working environment. If we could take a step back and understand the data, understand what they are trying to do, address the friction that they're experiencing as they come onto this role so that we can guide and support them through the most turbulent time, the most unfamiliar time that they will face within that role. That has got to be more worthwhile than any investment in an immersive experience that is so far away from the point of need, it might as well be on a different planet. So taking your point there, I'm a learning and development officer Mm -hmm. in in a business and I've been asked to sort out new manager induction or manager induction and probably his okay I'd have gone and done a training needs analysis maybe had a conversation with mm. those people and said you know what is it you need to know or and maybe the stakeholders what is it that we think they need to know yeah what would be different if I was going to be more evidence-based if we, what would I actually mm. physically be doing differently to get that better result so first of all let's have a look to see what the extent of this risk so have a look at the people data to find out how many people have been promoted within within the organization how many people you're bringing in and have a look isolate what you're actually dealing with uh, if you can go to those people to find out uh, and their and their managers to find out what actually happened here if you've got HR analytics and your people analytics, you're going to see the correlation between uh, promotion, correlation of uh, relationships, of tasks, and you're going to get an output regardless. I mean, that's much more sophisticated. But all I'd say is be a detective, first of all. A lot of the time, to your point, if you've got a, a learning needs analysis, you've got, rather than a detective, you've got an artist like who wants to go around and find out what they would like delivered to them, you know, in, you know, so, so to pull together this, this work so that it can be delivered to a group, like kind of regardless, but it's a collection of topics. What I'm saying is let's take this down to specifics. So if we can then gather, once we've got some business information, collect recent new starters to find out what it was they were trying to do when they first got into the role. So let's start with a goal. 
If we can find out what they're trying to do, and I bet a lot of this is down to survival. You're being promoted. There is something around, on the Friday, they left a job where they were a technical expert. They were the person that people went to when they had problems. Monday, they turned up like a fish out of water, like a fish up a tree. And they were worried that they would lose all currency. They would lose all credibility. They didn't know what to do next. And they were worried about not being able to answer the questions of this new team in front of them. There is an enormous amount of anxiety. But if we can find out what people are trying to do within the short term of that role and then understand the friction that they experience. So what was stopping you from achieving that? Once we've got their questions, situations, and challenges that they face, we can address those specifically. Then what we can do is find the most appropriate way of getting that information, know-how, and insights to them when they need it to guide and support them towards more confident and competent doing. I'm just, I'm liking your analogies here, actually, because mm. I'm just, I'm thinking, <laughs> I've got this vision now of this, it's, again, maybe how we develop ourselves as L&D people, right? So it's all very well we provide it to other people, but how do we develop ourselves? Mm. And I suppose what I'm hearing is that you said rather than being artists, there may be more people who are artists are mm. drawn into the profession. It's about creating a nice solution. You're saying that we actually need to have multiple hats mm. or roles. So also we have to be um, detectives. So we need to be able to sniff out the data, sniff out the inconsistencies, the things which perhaps don't stack up that mm -hmm. are broken. And also we need to be scientists, so we need to be able to stand back, be objective, look at the data, look for patterns in it. And then I haven't got an analogy for this, but there's something about the goals. So it's about the sort of aspiring future visionary almost mm. to be able to see what we're trying to achieve and draw a line between these, the data and, and the solution. Yeah, I think I think those are great, those are great analogies. And um, Andrew Jacobs, who is... He is a head of transformation, L&D transformation at Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs here in the UK. And he likens the role of L&D now to what it should be as shopkeeper to engineer. So the shopkeeper stocks what people mm -hmm. want to buy. It's like any corner shop, really. You will only stock the shelves with what you know the sells because there's limited margin on there. And you will recognize the success of your store by footfall. So how many people come in and stuff that's taken off the shelves and repeat customers. And it's all about happy customers in the end. An engineer looks at how things work, not just from an individual and a team perspective, but from a systems perspective. And they'll recognize where there are points of failure and they'll run experiments to move the needle on where things are to where they need to be, but they'll also work with the main actors themselves. Going back to your point earlier about training needs analysis, what I think one of the my big bugbears and a, and a point of failure for us is when we go to people who are so far removed from the roles to ask what those people down there should be trained on. I always say it's like going to the doctors and saying, uh, hello doctor, I've got a friend Lucinda and she needs an operation. She's been walking funny, I think she probably needs her leg taken off. And the doctor then saying, oh wonderful, we've got a leg taking off workshop going off next week. Can she make Wednesday? And you know, and then the first thing you do when you first turn up is you're then asked, so um, tell us what your hopes are for this operation. You know, like, so you turn up to a training course, tell us what your hopes are for this course. Most people there going, Look, I was just told to come on a course. Yeah, and I one, really don't want my leg taking off. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> I, I was I was uh, tasked with a, a presentation four months ago. I was told it didn't go so well, so I was sent on this course. I've done four or five presentations since. I think they've been getting better, but as a knee jerk reaction, I was sent on this yeah. course. And my this you hate that I was sent. Yeah, exactly. But when you think about an engineer, and you'll take a look and you'll find out what exactly are these 
points of failure. So if we recognize that uh, in an, an employee's life cycle, once they're familiar with the surroundings, uh, once they are happy with the, the cultural norms, once they've got the uh, an idea of some of the, the, the fundamentals of communication and influence, they get to a level where they ne- then need to pitch or present either internally or to customers. Again, which are very different types of presentation. But imagine picking people up and guiding them when it's anticipated that they'll need this for the first time, rather than waiting for them to fail, for somebody else to diagnose that there's a problem, for a solution in inverted commas to be delivered several months after the challenges that they're faced or or several months before they're expected to do this again. It just doesn't make sense. We have the tools today to help people at their moments of need and anticipate those and then measure them based on the efficacy. So uh, to what extent that we helped to achieve their desired goals when they needed it. Okay, and actually one of the things I think really resonated there with me, which I also really like the concept of, and I think back to my days managing learning needs and training needs, and there was a massive time lag because often you didn't get the data in time. So you're saying also it's about us being able to um, make it user-driven and uh, real-time. Give me the learning that I want when I want it. Because that's what you want when you're on a system or something. Show me how to use that now. So I, you know, Never used to want to go and look things up. I want someone to tell me the answer when I want the answer. And I don't want any extra information. I just yeah. want the information I, I need to do whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. So from us as a point of being a learning professional, of course, well, we're not sitting there with the answers ready for everybody. Is this something that you're saying we address through technology? Um, what are the sort of, in fact, actually, it's probably quite a good thing for you to explain mm. to me what a learning experience platform is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking it's not the same as a learning management system. It doesn't mm. host e-learning. Do you want to tell me that? Yeah, well, well, let me start with the uh, the first point there. Um, I'd sound, when I'm banging this drum, I might sound like a digital versus face-to-face person, and I'm really not. I believe um, if we can find out what the real problems are that need to be solved, then we we must find the most appropriate way to help solve those. There's a little bit of content involved. There is a great deal of experience and connections involved. There is effort and results involved as well. So you might start a journey with content, of course, you can't then get results in isolation a lot of the time. You've got to, you've got to connect with people. So how can you inspire and uh, guide and support people to communicate and influence people around them in order to get the results? And, and rather than uh, creating uh, simply immersive and one and done experiences where you're trying to, you've got a catalogue of learning needs that you, you kind of group together. You have a look at time management, for example, and think, oh yeah, what does time management mean? Oh, it's probably the, uh, the urgent, important quadrant. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, managing your BAU, your business as usual with projects. There's probably inbox management, inbox management, all of this stuff. So, yeah. but so, so as a learning professional, I make all of these assumptions and everybody who comes through the door is likely with all this stuff I'm spraying, they'll take, as we said at the end of courses, if you take one thing away from this course, it's been worthwhile. We just spray this stuff at people. But if we can, um, if what we do is we can understand what it is that people can't do within a level of maturity within a particular role, then we can do a perfect mix of content, digital content or nudges to say to people, hey, look, you're likely to be experiencing this if you're not experiencing it already. Here's some useful stuff to get you going. By the way, there's a a 90 minute workshop where you might come along and talk to people who have a similar challenge. And then you might talk about what that means in the context of this organization or, hey, come and have a go. So it's kind of like an action learning set around groups of people. But when it's not around the assumption of or or aggregation of common needs and then uh, a common standard delivery, 
you can get down to the nuts and bolts and really help people in the context of the job. Because I mean, after all, in the, you know, the world we live in today, we don't need a lot of content. Content's on Google. If you want to know how to, to create a presentation, go on YouTube, go Google it. You'll, you'll get some good enough tips to help you. But what Google and YouTube can't help you with is what's expected and rewarded at this organization. And that is absolutely critical to the success of anybody, not just coming into the organization, but working their way through. It's about the expected and rewarded behaviors. And that's where the learning experience platform comes in. Because you can, and it is different from a learning, man, learning management system, the traditional LMS is built from the back forward. It does what it says. You manage learners and you administrate. It's what it is. So from a learning management system, you can host your face-to-face -face events, have people book on. It connects with your uh, financial system so that uh, you can charge people for attending. You can get your communications out and it shows you who's hitting your e-learning content. So it's built from the back and then You've got a fascia on the front. Most of the time, it's hideous and it looks like it was created in the 1990s because it's an afterthought because the real engine lies at the back. The learning experience platform is built the other way around. Uh, it recognizes that if you can't engage people, and I don't mean just with a pretty fascia, but with stuff that's actually useful and going to helpful in the context of their job, then you've got nothing. You can't influence people if you can't get them through the door. So a learning experience platform can be designed because it's a, still a, a wide market that hasn't been fully defined. But if I can tell you about the stuff that I'm familiar with, that you can I mean, it's a platform in itself, so it can be a house for content, but it can also reach out and get to people where they are. It can integrate with the productivity tools that they might be working with, whether that's simply through email, whether that's through browsers or through collaboration platforms such as Slack and Teams so that they can get notifications as and when determined by any administrator or in a particular workflow. But the whole thing is, is you can provide uh, content and search for when people know what they what they need. The vast majority of people who are open to development, what they don't know they they need, you can get that stuff to them in an automated workflow, so that L and D can sit back and watch the data as people respond to, "Hey, you might need this now," or your colleagues at this time said that this would be helpful. So it's about surfacing the stuff that is anticipated to be valuable to them in service of what they're trying to achieve. So it's push and pull. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Collaborative. And I guess when you get that information in there, because obviously the data's got to get in there in the first place, there is a piece of work where you've had to do the analysis. Would the L&D people be building up this content by analysing or talking to people who've been new managers previously and what their problems were? How do you get that learning in there for people? Mm. The fastest, most efficient way is definitely talk to to people. Talk to the target audience that you're looking to influence to find out what the friction is that they're experiencing. That is true learning in the flow of work. They don't have to stop work to learn. They are in the context of their role and the stuff that's being surfaced is in service of what they're trying to do. So it is like us. Uh, we are now home to go to Google. But imagine Google said to us, hey, you've got a meeting coming, you've got a one-to-one -one coming up. And the last time you had a one-to-one -one with this person, it went a little bit sideways. This might help you with that. And you imagine, imagine you just, you had so that. Predictive. Yeah. So, so you've got, you've got something there uh, that's acting like almost like an expert mentor mm -hmm. who's always just there saying, hey, you might need this. And of course, once you've got that, it's all about then acting with more confidence and competence. 
in service of what you're trying to achieve. But the, yeah, going back to your point, the, the, the fastest, most efficient way is speak to re- uh, people who have recently been through the pain. Yeah. Um, if you can understand from them what they were trying to do and what was getting in the way, then you can build up a solution in no time at all. And we, uh, we always advocate a minimum valuable solution. What is the minimum you can do to put in the hands of the users that can help move the needle? Because then you know to do a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that rather than what a lot of learning and development functions do is buy a big system, fill it full of content, launch it on a, a population and you know spend, spend the rest of your time in that organization trying to drive traffic. It's absolute opposite. But it's not all about starting with a white wall. Sometimes we know that learning and development have some idea of what's required. So you can actually put some content in to a platform and then respond off the data to see what people need more of and less of and when they need it as well. So you can do it both ways. As I said, one's slightly more efficient and requires less assumptions. The other one recognizes that learning and development might not have the access or the currency to go directly to a target audience from scratch. Okay, so it sounds great. Mm -hmm. What I can't, and I appreciate this is a podcast and the viewers, the viewers, the listeners can't, <laughs> can't appreciate how fabulous your gestures, you know, you're, mm. you're waving your arms around. I can't quite see, what would I see? Can mm. you describe what I would see as an end user? And yep. also what, I, what would I put in as an L&D person? Is it written? Is it, it's on a computer screen, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the digital element is going to be either on desktop or mobile, and it's likely to get to people where they work. Uh, so it may, as I said, it might be on their their browser, so in their Google Chrome or, or Internet Explorer, uh, appear as a as a notification or a search bar. Uh, more likely, it's going to be integrated with uh, local tools, so whether that be Slack, uh, Microsoft Teams, and you get a push notification says, "Hey, Lucinda, you've been here uh, a week. If you haven't seen already, there's a a staff." social board here you know have a have a look here we'll just drive it towards it so so it's a little signpost yes when i get a skype i've got sort of skype message as a little message or linkedin it's like it's like whatsapp like so if you've got your uh your notifications on your phone you you know what it's like now it doesn't matter how people connect with you if you've got notifications on then then uh then it'll get to you but it's based on value not on content so it's all about recognizing where you are and what you're trying to do so at loop not to do any Product placement, you know, I'm sure that there are other platforms that do this. We allow people to be, uh, and we expect administrators with our API, so in connecting with, uh, with their HR systems to be able to distinguish groups of people. You might have new managers in sales who are budget holders, members of three distinct groups. If they are, then they can have access to particular content. Uh, they can have access to everything if, uh, if they wish, but we always say, Get down to distinct groups, understand what they're trying to do, and then get that on a workflow so you can prompt people. So budget holders, you you might get to them and say, look, it's time to do your forecasting. Uh, Forecasting needs to be done by this time. If you want to know how to do forecasting, take a look here. You go through, you can click on the link, and then you're in a resource. And a resource can be simply text to say, you know, with, with guidelines. It might be images, infographics, checklists. Uh, for something that's uh, that's very instructional, it just might be a screen recording. So if you, if you're inputting uh, a financial forecast, rather than uh, an Excel training course, it might be here's a link to the uh, to the spreadsheet. All I need you to do is X Y Z. Watch this video if you're unsure on how to do that, and then just complete it by the twenty fourth. 
It might be something that is around aggregated best practice. So what successful people should and do do within your organization. If I've been at the organization for say a year, I'm starting to get itchy feet, I kind of mastered my job and I'm thinking, right, how do I get on here? Going to a resource that said, uh, that was called something like, how do I get on within the company? Aggregated best practice might be five top tips to assess whether you're ready for a next move and what to do next. And I always say that that's like asking someone in your organization, Lucinda, what do I do? I've been here a year. You might say, using aggregated best practice, right? You need to nail your, your current job. Your line manager needs to agree that you're nailing your current job. Uh, you should have an eye on the notice board and work on transferable skills, Some, something like that. You, I mean, they're, they're quite common, but every organization is gonna have their unwritten rules of moving on. One of those unwritten rules might be, or might be written, no one can move from their current job within 12 months of starting the, the previous. So, so all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got something which might be a bit more complex or sensitive. And this might be best in a video headshots or a montage. An example might be, and this is a real one we've done on new manager uh, resources uh, or initiative. And this was, how do I manage somebody who doesn't like me? So there's a really uh, complex and sensitive one. But if you had the option, what, what would potentially be the best way of doing that digitally? Well, imagine you've got five experienced managers who've all been through that, who could say what they've actually done in that situation. Now, it's not going to be gospel and it's not going to be tools, but it's going to be insights that you would have gained similar to if you chatted to five managers around that particular thing. So would you have gathered those like, video clips or quotes from the, from these people is that would be the sort of data that you'd have gathered as an L&D professional in the organization so that you could refer to that well something that's complex like that last one about mm-hmm. you know how do you manage someone who doesn't like you you've got to deal with that with the sensitivity and the complexity that it deserves i would say that if you could look at the whites of the eyes of a manager who's been through that and almost see yeah, the turmoil. With a real person, exactly. Don't be lying yeah. Rather than like video content or something. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, you know, then, then you find a way of, uh, of doing that. But with the other stuff, that's just text. And, yeah. uh, you know, the first one was a screen grab and there's, there's screen recording software free on most computers. Just do a voiceover and get it out the door. Yeah. Curation, uh, what, is it? It's basically different content or like yeah, all sorts. Yeah, it's, it's, stuff, it's stuff that already exists in your organisation. Anybody who's been in their organisation for a great deal of time will know a lot of this stuff. So, so L&D could be both the, the curators and the administrators uh, of this. You'll need subject matter experts for some where you just reach out. And instead of saying, you know, one of the worst things you can say to somebody in an organisation is, like, you're, you're the font of all knowledge. Would you mind if I called you a subject matter expert and we, we called on you whenever we needed you? My response to that would be no thanks. Like, I'm busy enough. <laughs> yeah. But if I, if I said to you, uh, Lucinda, you're recognised as a subject matter expert. We've got these three questions that, that people are asking and they say that this would make a significant difference to them onboarding. Would you mind if I talked to you about these three? The answer is always yes. yes it, it, might, it might not be yes right now, but it will certainly be yes because you have asked them for specific things. And that is, that's where this is, this is very different. that's smart because we've all had the situation where the, you know, the, the person who is the fund of all knowledge, they don't, know, they don't want to be a mentor anymore no. because they are the go-to person. Mm. So actually it's disseminating that information more broadly. Yeah. So capturing it, it's working smarter for them as well as the organisation. So great. So okay, I'm sold. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm sure it's not as simple as you make out, but I think it sounds pretty, really sensible. And it just feels like it's a much more modern way of identifying learning. It's 
I'm visualizing my, my um, desktop really with being able to jump on Google or jump on Skype to ask somebody. It's, it's almost like the way we work, but we're doing it with learning to be able to access that. Yeah, it's not created. It's not created a new portal. There is, I mean, there is a portal there, but it's built recognizing that uh, people don't want another new system. But if we can notify them of value when it's recognized they need value, then we can give them a nudge and then they'll go through. We're not expecting people to go onto a new system and say, oh, look, this is the answer to all my problems, because it's not. But that's why we've got to place ourselves in their shoes yeah. and in their situations in order to help them with their challenges. It's a, it's a variation on what used to be called on-the-job learning, isn't it, yeah. actually? But, and I was always going to ask you this earlier. I think it's kind of been answered. But do people know? You always wouldn't know you're learning no. in this situation. It's actually, no, I just need to, I need this bit of information in order to do what I'm trying to do. So it's not, my motivation isn't pure learning. It's, it's effectiveness and productivity and taking away the obstacle of me not being able to do what I'm doing. Yeah. So, so if you, I mean, Charles Jennings talks about, um, and I think it was Charles Jennings said, that the, the era of learning before working it's almost over. And certainly in knowledge work, we just don't retain the stuff in our head. So going on a course for a day, having loads of content delivered at us or with us, we've got exercises to help um, to remember. I know all of that stuff. And then going back to work, perhaps the week after, remembering everything and then applying it in all the right situations, that's all a fallacy. Oh, yeah, it's all... It's all 90% of it, I think. Exactly, yeah. Well, we rem- like, so you might lose 90% of what you remembered. Let's not forget, you, will, you never remembered everything that was delivered in the first yeah. place. So what is actually taken away from a training course is, is always minimal. And that is why I, I always go back to, and I say to trainers, have you ever qualified taking people away from their work and not remembering everything by saying, if you only take one thing from this training course, then it will all have been worth it. Like it's, it's just not the case. What we are talking about here is being a lot more targeted and focused on the roles that people are doing, the goals that they're trying to achieve and the things that are getting in the way. It's so much more targeted and focused, both as an activity for learning and development and the value experience for the worker in the end. So you're right. It's not about learning. You gain the learning in the same way as we always have by doing. But you're, you're, we're creating an opportunity to provide more insight and competence alongside a little more confidence because you've heard firsthand or you've just received some information like an expert was sitting next to you and said, hey, if I were you, I'd do it like this. And you go, oh, okay, okay. Might not be enough, but I'm going to give this a crack. The output is your effectiveness. Yeah. Your performance as opposed to the learning for learning sake, isn't it? There you go. So I guess we're going to have to stop there, David. That's been fascinating. Seriously, I think we could have talked on for hours and probably will. But from a podcast point of view, we need to close it here. So thanks so much to David James. He's the Chief Learning Officer at Loop. And as you can tell, he's really shaking up learning and development and looking at it in a completely different way. If you want to follow David, he's really, really active on LinkedIn and got some really great thoughts out there. So I think we can do worse than to follow some of his thinking. He's always up for a good debate and challenge. And the other thing um, to mention is that David also has a podcast coming up, don't you? So David's podcast you can find on iTunes and all the usual places, and it's called The Learning and Development Podcast. And I know he's got a host of really interesting L&D experts lined up. So that's going to be great to listen to. So I'm looking forward to it. So look out for the Learning and Development podcast. We'll put any other links and details in the show notes below. And just like to say thank you so much for listening. As ever, I really welcome your feedback, your comments, your suggestions for guests and topics. Very much appreciated. 
I've been your host. My name is Lucinda Carney and do again reach out to me. Love to link in with you, chat to you, hear what's going on for you out there. We're aimed at forward thinking, HR, learning and development and OD professionals. So tell us what's interesting to you and we'll do our best to provide you with relevant content. You can join our LinkedIn community, which is growing rapidly. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So all that remains is for me to close today's podcast and remind you that when we all look up together, we rise up together. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.